No, it's the other Philippians today. Okay, so maybe just to get us thinking a bit along the Christmas theme, uh, as, a, as, a, as a bit of a mind stretcher for us, I thought I'd start this, this morning with a bit of a challenge for us to think about, and that's the Star of Bethlehem. And that's not part of my message. <laughs> but um, I don't know if you've ever spent some time and actually thought about the Star of Bethlehem. Um, and uh, this week I was listening to an article by a guy, Danny, Dr. Danny Faulkner. He's an astronomer. And you know how these guys go off about the Star of Bethlehem and actually what was it? What did the wise men see? Um, but they, um, the Bible tells us, and, and he refers us back to the Bible in Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12. And he talks about the wise men arriving from the east. Uh, they've seen the star. And that causes a big stir in Jerusalem. It says, um, Herod was very concerned, and also the people in Jerusalem were very, very concerned. Um, and then Herod calls in the, the wise men, and they refer him back to a prophecy in Micah. And they say, no, the, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And... Um, so the star is, is, has brought the wise men to, they've seen the star in the sky, and the star has brought them to, to Jerusalem. But then if you read carefully in, in Matthew, and I'm not going to read it now because I've, I've got something more to get onto. But it almost seems like they didn't see the star for a while. Like they saw it, it told them this. There was something in the sky they saw, it told them, there's something happening in Jerusalem, something significant. Um, and, they, and that prompted them to go to Jerusalem. Herod at this stage is quite aged. Um, and it's quite interesting, there were a few Herods. So this Herod, this was the first Herod, King Herod. And he, um, he was quite on in years. Um, but he was paranoid. Apparently, he'd already killed, killed his wife and two of his sons because he felt threatened in his, in his rule. So you can understand that he's very curious and, and he wants to know what's going on about the star. Um, but then um, he directs them, tells them where to go. He says that he's, he's prophets and wise men in Jerusalem, have said it's in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem wasn't that far. Uh, it was probably about five or ten kilometers. It was a walk from Jerusalem. Um, and then it says they, they were quite excited. They saw the star again. As they were on their way to, to Bethlehem, they saw the star again. And uh, it leads them to this house uh, where, where Jesus is. <clears throat> and the reason why I wanted to just share a little bit about that to get us thinking about the star and about our paradigms 
because, you know, we love these Christmas cards, and the star and the three wise men on the camels. Um, but this, this author challenges us. He says, firstly, how do we know the three wise men? I don't know if you heard that challenge. Um, because we sing that song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. But that's the song. It's not scripture. Um, it just says wise men came from the east. And then the other reason we maybe think it's three wise men is because of the three gifts we, which are mentioned. But the Bible doesn't actually mention three wise men. And it's, it's more likely that there was an entourage because it says Jerusalem was in a bit of a, a turmoil when these people arrived there. Um, but I'm just saying, you know, we have this, this idea in our minds. And then about the star. And let's think about the star a little bit. So there's a star in the sky. If you've ever done any camping or whatever and tried to get your, your, your bearings, there's certain ways that you follow the stars and certain things. You know, you can follow the Southern Cross. My brother always tried to explain to me how you follow the Southern Cross and that. But the, the sky turns. The sky changes. If you've been to a planetarium, you'll see there's different phases of the sky. And so the stars are in different positions. So how is the star guiding them? And then coming to a specific house, how is a star going to guide you to a specific place? Because think about it, the stars are billions of kilometers away. As you come close to a place, is the star going to point at a specific, specific place? Anyhow, what the author is saying is just that, and this is an astronomer, and he goes to a few different scenarios. He says, was this a, a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn that happened in 7 BC? Or there was another one of Venus and Jupiter in 2 BC. And then there was a new star, a nova star in 5 BC. And then there was also talks about Halley's Comet being around at the time. So he goes through all these different scenarios. But um, as an astronomer, he then comes back to the conclusion that actually probably none of those. And he's a Christian. And he says... How about it was God miraculously working with the light in the sky? Because the people in that day, even if they saw an aeroplane light up in their sky, it would have been a star to them. They didn't know what anything else was. Everything was stars, planets, whatever, all stars. So anyhow, he just comes to the conclusion that um, God just miraculously put, put some sort of pinpoint light in the, in the sky. Whether it was an angel whether it was some point, point and led them miraculously to, to Jesus. And that God does work miraculously. Um, and, and, and God draws people from all over the world. That's what's amazing about that story. You know, he, 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 he displayed himself to the shepherds in the field, the Jews, the shep Jewish shepherds, but he also draws people from all over the world. Um, and um, Isaiah 60 is a lovely scripture to read about this. Isaiah 60 verse 1 to 3, it speaks about your light has risen. How Lord, your light has risen. And just something that I thought about relating to that is the dreams of, of Muslims. I don't know if you've, you've heard this on people reporting this over the last few years, that a lot of Muslims who don't have any, um, any contact with the gospel and Yolanda was thinking, Yolanda was sharing with me this morning about Devon. It's gone to this very, very strict, what place is it? Socotra, which is part of Yemen. Part of Yemen. And how he had to be coached. 
in what he was allowed to say when he was there and not say. And even messages on his phone had to be sifted and, and so forth because it's so, so strict in the Muslim environment. And yet into this Muslim environment, the Lord reveals himself even through dreams. And the Lord works miraculously and he still does that. So that's just by way of, of, of introduction. I just wanted us to start thinking about some of these things that we have that we've been carrying with us a long time and encourage us to just think, think through some of these things. You know, we just need to think through some of these things that we've had um, over all the years, been taught in Sunday school or whatever. Um, is that really relevant? Does it matter, <laughs> the star? Um, no, except that it was something miraculous and it announced something miraculous. Um, and it was significant for the world, very significant for the world. So what I really want to talk about this morning, and the Lord has been very gracious to me, is um, he allowed me to prepare something very for a long time last night. And then this morning I got up at just before five o'clock. And he said, no, <laughs> something else that you need to talk about. <laughs> So, Duncan, as we were talking about being prepared and liking to be in your comfort zone, this is not it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'd like to speak a little bit about what Jesus actually came for. And, um, and as a background to that, um, how God has been trying to reach out to us as humanity over all the years. And uh, we know where it all started. It all went wrong in the Garden of Eden. But then God chose a few people. He chose the patriarchs and he, and he, and he reached out and he called Abraham. Um, he called Abraham and he said, I'm going to give you this great nation. But you first gain his captivity for 400 years. First gain of captivity for, for 400 years. And then they came out, miraculously we know that, how they came out of Egypt. And um, brought them through the water and how uh, the, the um, Egyptians were destroyed. And then three months, he, he led them three months in the wilderness. And then he brought them up to Sinai. And this was the beginning of a new chapter because now God was going to begin to communicate directly with his people again. And how did it start? It started in, in Exodus chapter 19. We read about it. And what I want us to think about as we read this is, is imagine being there in that time. This is the God who's rescued you from the Egyptians. He's led you by the hand through the Red Sea. You've been in the desert for three months. And now God is going to start talking directly to you. How do you feel about that? So in Exodus 19, and I'm just going to read a few verses here and there. In Exodus 19, verse 3. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you will say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, 
You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So lovely, eh? Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession amongst all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So this is God's heart. God's heart is, I'm taking you, you've been through all the slavery, all the suffering. I'm taking you on eagle's wings. You're going to be my treasured possession among all the peoples of all the, of the earth. Something very special. And then he says, from verse 10, The Lord said to Moses, okay, how is the, the Lord going to speak to them now? How is he going to relate to them? The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. And let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. Do you remember once before we spoke about the atonement? Remember a couple of weeks ago or months ago? And remember we said God is holy, holy, holy. How the, the angels are worship, worshipping him. Holy, holy, holy. And man is sinful. Man has fallen. So how does, how does this holy God now relate? The Lord said to Moses, Um, go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the, the Lord will come. Down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Hmm. Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. This is now him relating to the people. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments, and he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings, and a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. This is how you get ready to see the Lord. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had ascended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled. The whole mountain trembled greatly. And at the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. 
And then he said, go down and warn, then he told Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount, he's reminding him, cannot come up, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. Do not let the priests and the people break through to come to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. So what's the problem here? There's a problem here because God is holy, God is perfect. The people are sinful. Um, they're tainted. Um, they're unclean. And how do an unclean pe- people become before this perfect holy God? It can't be. It's impossible. It cannot be. Because um, that pure holiness, when it comes in contact with, um, with sinfulness, it will destroy it. it will, that's why God is called a consuming fire. It will destroy them completely. And then we go to Exodus 24, verse 17. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire. That's what I said, eh? consuming fire. On the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses alone entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And if you go back to verse 7, 24 verse 7. Moses took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all, the, all that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. I would also say that if I was in that environment. Moses took the blood and threw it on the people. Moses had made a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice. And he said, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. He purified them. He sprinkled the blood on them. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab, and we're going to read a bit more about Nadab and Abihu. They were the sons of of Aaron. Seventy of the elders of Israel went up, and they they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet as it were a pavement of sapphire. So they saw him from a distance, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Uh, And then the Lord called out to Moses to come up to him. And then we read later on, when the people have transgressed, remember how they transgressed with a a calf? They they are so terrified of God. They don't even want to come near the mountain. Um, And someone once once sent me this article and said... um, that when, when the Lord speaks about the fear of God in the Old Testament, he's not really talking about fear. He's talking about respect and, and um, holding God in honor and respect. There is some truth to that. But I think these guys felt fear. If you read through what we just read, I think they felt fear. And, um, 
And this was, the, this was when they saw the, the majesty and the power of God. The whole mountain was shaking. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a bit of an earth tremor. We had a few a couple of months ago. It's, it's not very pleasant. And you don't know. What's next? You know, is this? And, and, and imagine yeah, the whole mountain is shaking. There's fire. There's smoke. Um, you're conscious of your impurity. You're conscious of everything you've ever done wrong. And yeah, is this holy God. Um, well, let's not go too close there. And yet, remember what we read earlier. You're going to be a, a treasured possession to me. You're going to be my special people. Um, you're the apple of my eye. So how does this work out? How does this work out? And then it goes on. So, so what does God do on the mountain? He speaks to Moses. And, he's, and remember, Moses spent 40 days there. And he gives him a lot of instruction. He gives him a lot of instruction. And it's a lot of instruction about cleanliness and um, how to purify yourself. And, you know, if you want to read it all, you can read it through in Leviticus. I mean, everything was, was given in detail. How to, how to be clean, how to... Um, it related to all kinds of things, leprosy, if there was mildew in your home, and all these things. Hard to be clean before God. And he gave him all those instructions. He also gave him the instructions about how to build the tabernacle, which was very important. He gave him detailed instructions about how, to Moses about how the tabernacle needed to build, be built. Because that was ultimately where God was going to come and dwell and actually meet, meet with the people in a way of speaking. And then... And then Moses came out, and then he gave him the Ten Commandments. And that's detailed in the next um, bit further on. That's in Exodus 20. In Exodus 20, it speaks about the Ten Commandments that the Lord gives, gives to Moses. So he's trying to give him some guidelines, some outlines. These are the things you need to do. If you want to be pure before me, if you want to be in my company, if you want to uh, enjoy my fellowship, these are all the things that you, you're going to have to do. And you can, I mean, we know the Ten Commandments in, in Exodus 20. And then the rest of it, I'm not going to read it all, but then the tabernacle. So Moses comes down um, after the second set of commandments because the people were sinning with the golden calf already. Imagine, I mean, they've just had this fearful experience, and then it's the golden calf. Um, and then he gave him another set of um, commandments, ten commandments. And then the, the tabernacle is, is built. That whole process is put in motion where God will actually come and meet with the people. And so he does that. Um, and then at the end of Exodus, everything is done. Everything is done. Everything is prepared. In chapter 40 of Exodus, it speaks about the tabernacle being erected. And 40 verse 34, so I'm jumping way ahead now. The tabernacle is all built. It's ready. It's exactly what God told him to do. And then in Exodus 40 verse 34, it says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able 
to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And so Moses couldn't enter. That's a problem now. This is the end of Exodus. The tabernacle has been built. The Lord has been communicating with Moses previously. Suddenly the Lord's presence comes in such a way on the tabernacle that Moses cannot even enter. Now it's a problem. If Moses can't enter, then there's a problem. And then we go into Leviticus. Um, and it gives some instruction about the ceremonial things that can be done. And, and the festivals, the Jewish festivals, and what God expects. And then about the different offerings, different types of offerings that God wants people to offer um, when they come before him. And also, very importantly, how the Aaronic priesthood is set in motion. So God wants a priesthood to be set in motion. And through the priesthood, uh, the people then can, then can relate to, to God. It's interesting that uh, when, when, when Aaron went into the, the tabernacle for the first time, into the presence of, of God, Moses could go with him that first time. And, um, and then, they, then they came out together. And it says the glory of the Lord actually came out of the tabernacle and it consumed the altar in front that had been set up, fire. Consumed the altar, the glory of the Lord. And the whole nation of Israel was standing there, and they all bowed down in worship, to worship. They saw the glory of the Lord coming from out of the tabernacle. And Moses and Aaron then lifted their hands and gave them the Aaronic blessing. We can read that a bit later. Joe's read it a few times, yeah. The Aaronic blessing was then read over the people because now God's presence was there, and there was a system that had been set up. But then there's another problem. So every time there's a resolution, and then there's another problem. And that's explained in Leviticus 10. Now remember, we just read about Nabat. Remember I told you, remember Nadab and Abihu. Those were the two sons of Aaron. They had actually gone up and from a distance seen God's glory on the mountain. Now in Leviticus 10, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron... Each took his censer and put fire in it. You know that priest had the censers with the, the ashes in. And laid incense in it. So they would take fire from the altar. Then they would crush certain incense. Everything was explained very specifically by God what to do. And offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So they, maybe they were... Proudful. Maybe they said, well, we saw God from a distance. You know, we, we're the privileged ones. And they went in on a day and an occasion when they were not asked to do this. <coughs> and there's speculation about exactly what happened, whether they went into the Holy of Holies, tried to go into the Holy of Holies, or whether they had been drinking something. You know, there, there was something specifically wrong with the way that they approached God, and it was not according to God's um, determination. And we know what happened. That same fire, the glory of the Lord, that consuming fire consumed them because they did this um, in, in sin. They were sinful in the way that they approached God's holy presence. 
So there's a problem again. And they fell down dead. And now there's another problem because now you've got two corpses in the holy presence of God. And, and death is a big contaminator if you read about it in the, in the laws and regulations. For example, the high priest was not allowed to be anywhere near a dead corpse at all. There were very strict regulations about how you would handle a corpse, even if it's someone in your own family, um, because it contaminated you. That death contaminated you. And, and why is there so much, such an emphasis on Because it's this whole contradiction between life and death. God is life. God is life and holiness. And on the other hand, you have lawlessness, you have death, you have sin. And it's, and it's two extremes, and they cannot meet. It's impossible. They cannot meet. Because God's holiness will consume. God's holiness consumes. So that's in Leviticus chapter 10. And now the rest of Leviticus explains a lot about more regulations that, that God gave them. And it culminates in Leviticus chapter 16. And Leviticus chapter 16 is actually the hinge virtually of the whole, whole Old Testament. If you, if, you, if you want one chapter in the Bible that explains the message of atonement in the Old Testament. It's Leviticus chapter 16, and that's the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Um, and, and that's explained in detail in, in, in Leviticus chapter 16. Um, I wonder how much I need to talk on that, because that's... Are we doing? Sure, time is going. But let me just summarize... Um, what the Day of Atonement, I'll just try and summarize it. So what happened on the Day of Atonement? Only the high priest could go in and only once a year. And by the way, that is the Day of Atonement in today's terms was, when was it? Sometime in October. It related to this incident with Israel, wasn't it? It was to do with the Day of Yom Kippur. Um, yeah, it was during those high holidays that this whole attack happened. And... Um, so once a year, the, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies. But first he had to take, he had to take a, a ox, he had to sacrifice it, and he had to bring the blood with him. And that ox was his own forgiveness to purify him. The blood of that ox had to be sprinkled. Sprinkled inside for any contamination that had happened inside the, 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 the tabernacle. And then after that, um, after that, there was another sacrifice, another animal sacrifice. Um, and, and that sacrifice was to do with two, two goats. So there were two goats selected. And those goats had to be, of course, all the sacrifices, remember, that's very important. All the sacrifices had to be perfect. So any animal that was brought in sacrifice had to be investigated by the priest in detail, for any type of blemish on that animal. Otherwise, it was totally rejected. But on the Day of Atonement, there were these two perfect goats selected. And, and if you read it, it would seem that they had to look identical. Two identical goats were selected for the Day of Atonement. And those perfect goats, so now the priest has already made atonement for himself to go in. Remember, they also tied a, a rope around him, just in case he didn't make it. And 
He takes those two goats, he brings them before the door, the entrance of the tabernacle. And then they cast lots. And I don't know if you've, you've heard about the priests and the, and the lots, what is it, Urim and Turim or something. And they cast these lots. And by the lots, um, they would select one goat as a sacrifice to go in and one goat to, to be led away. Sacrifice to go in before God's presence, that goat was slaughtered and killed. The, the, the blood of that goat was, was taken in, inside and right into the Holy of Holies. And that was sprinkled onto the, um, onto the altar and before the, the altar, of, sorry, onto the, the ark, the ark of the covenant and the altar of incense. So the priest went right in there and sprinkled the blood. But you remember he had that censer. So that made a lot of smoke because God said that his presence was there above the, altar, the, the, the ark of the covenant. And, and the priest had to go in and create a lot of smoke, a cloud of smoke, because of God's presence. He couldn't be directly exposed. There was still, a, even then, there was a cloud in there. And the priest would go in and he would sprinkle the blood, and then he would sprinkle the blood around in the other section that was no longer the Holy of Holies, behind the curtain. And then that, that goat had to be taken out and entirely burnt on the, on the altar, the ascension altar outside, entirely burned. The other goat, so there was another goat outside. That other goat, the priest would, there was a, 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 a system whereby they would lay their hands heavily on top of that goat's head. And by doing that, they would transfer, in a spiritual sense, the sins of the nation. By laying their heads heavily on the head of that goat, they would transfer the sins of the nation onto that goat. And that goat was then taken by a man, a man, and led way out into the, the wilderness. Was taken out and, and led away. Um, and that was the, the Day of Atonement, which happened once a year. And that was to, to just cleanse the, the tabernacle but also to ask God for forgiveness for the sins of the people for that whole year that it happened. It was quite interesting today. Ten days before the Day of Atonement, you have the Feast of, of Trumpets. Remember we spoke about a trumpet earlier on the Sinai. But there's a Feast of Trumpets. They still celebrate these, by the way. These are the high holy holidays of the Jews. The Feast of Trumpets, which takes, takes place ten days before, um, and the Feast of the Trumpets brings in a time of, of soul-searching and um, examining yourself. Much to do with the way the Israelites would have done it at, right back then. But even today they do this. And you'll see the, a lot of people at the Wailing Wall in, in Israel. It's a time of soul-searching. Because they believe that the Day of Atonement is the day in the year when God will look and consider. He weighs up, the scales are weighed, and God will look and consider if you have qualified, if your works for the previous year have been good, if you're pure and you're good, and then you get 
qualified for, for another year. And that happens even today. That's, that's the, the way of thinking. Um, but that wasn't part of the thinking at this time. That this time was the Day of Atonement to bring, bring forth the, the, um, the sins of the people for the, for the previous year. Right, so I think just talking like this, it's almost a bit strange for us. I mean, even me thinking about these things and working through these things, and especially you know, go and read up all the ceremonial things of washing and if, um, uh, you know, especially to do with discharges and, and if a child is born, a woman is unclean for such a period of time. Um, and all these things, there, there were so many rules, and what you can eat and you can't eat, clean and unclean foods, um, and, and, and why, you know, why were these things like that? But it, it all comes back to this thing about life and death. So even a bodily discharge, it's something that's, it's come from a live person, and, and now it's, it's been ejected, you know, it's, it's no longer alive. Um, and animals, so a lot of animals which are scavengers, for example, are not, are not clean, you know, things like that. But also, it also served to preserve the, 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 the Israelites as a set-apart people. And that's something we haven't spoken much about, but it's this whole thing about being holy to the Lord is set-apartness. Part of holiness is to be set-apart and to be different. Um, and that's what God was calling them to, to be a set-apart people. But even while we're talking, I think it still has a strangeness to it, doesn't it? I mean, how do we relate to that? It's really strange, isn't it? Um, imagine being someone in that environment. Um, and I think maybe to some extent Jews today can relate to some extent to that because they do still follow a lot of um, laws and rules, and especially if you're very orthodox. I don't know if you know Jewish people, but a lot of the orthodox, you know, it's still a lot of things about eating and how you clean your things in the kitchen and you don't uh, blend certain things together and all that. I don't know if you, you know about or you know Jewish people who do that. Um, so there's still those remnants are, are still there even, even today. But I think if you just think about it clearly, this wasn't the answer. This was not a solution to the God who wanted to reach to his people and to dwell among his people. Even only the high priest could go into his presence. Um, there is, a, there is, a, is a, a strong point to be made that when you brought your your lamb or your ox or whatever you brought, I'm talking about the individual, as a sacrifice to the Lord. And, and one day, maybe next year sometime, we can speak about the sacrifices and what they actually meant. But there is a, an aspect of that, you were then reaching out to the Lord by your sacrifice. Because there's a, there, there, was, there was one sacrifice that you'd bring that was called a sacrifice of ascension. And that's where the whole animal was burnt completely on the altar. And you related to that. It was total consecration. You're, you related to that animal to such an extent that you were totally burnt up. You related. And the way that the smoke arose, 
to God's presence, okay, represented the way that you in your sacrifice had been taken up in that, in that sacrifice. But it's very interesting when we speak about, maybe next year sometime, we'll speak about the specific sacrifices and what they meant and how they relate to each other. But that's not the main point today. The main point today is what was the answer to all of this? What is the answer to all of this? And uh, we know that God from the beginning of time, eternity, before the beginning of time, um, had predetermined, and we often talk about this in Ephesians, predetermined, predetermined us, predetermined what would happen. Um, in Genesis, we already read about the, the, the serpent and the woman. There was a plan in place already. Um, because the system was not perfect. Because the priests had to do this every year. And there were daily sacrifices. There were animals being offered. Every morning there was a sacrifice, every evening. And then during the day, the people came with their personal sacrifices of cleansing and things. It was just ongoing, ongoing, ongoing. So this was not the answer. And yet we can understand why it was like that. Because of God's holiness. Remember the Mount Sinai. This was this perfect, awesome, powerful God amongst the people in their sinful state, living amongst them in the tabernacle. And if they didn't do it according to this way, he would have, his presence would have destroyed them. His presence would have destroyed the people. So what was the what was the answer? And um, to find out, we we go to a disciple who was um, a Jew. He was a tax collector, so you all know. Um, and so he wrote a gospel, the good news for the Jews, for these people. He wrote a gospel especially for them. It also related to the Gentiles, the gospel. Because the end of his gospel says, go into all the world. So we know it related to the Gentiles as well. But the beginning of his gospel is the good news. And he starts his gospel with, uh, he goes back to Abraham. Remember, Matthew starts from Abraham, Matthew the tax collector. Does. And interesting, Matthew, you don't hear much about him. Have you thought about that? You don't really read much about him in other Gospels. You also don't hear about him in Paul's letters or in any other writings. Matthew, and yet Matthew is the one that wrote this first Gospel, the tax collector. And much was forgiven of Matthew. Because remember, he represented the Roman system. And Herod and these guys. And he goes back to Abraham. Matthew goes back to Abraham. And, um, and then he, sp- he speaks in, in verse 18 about the birth of Jesus. Uh, when, uh, in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, 
before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But an angel of the Lord appeared to him, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You will call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. Behold, a virgin will conceive and be a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel. And then we go on and we read about what happened. And I just made some, some highlights here in, in, in chapter 2 of Matthew. All the prophecies that start to take place. So, firstly, there's that one about um, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. That's a prophecy. And then verse 6, and you are Bethlehem. Remember, we spoke about that earlier, the Bethlehem star. In the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. That's in Micah. And then in verse uh, 15, so now they've, they've, they've fled from Herod to Egypt. And in verse 15 it says, This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. And then in verse 18, this is now the terrible thing about Herod when he killed all the children. Uh, a voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. That's in Jeremiah 31. And then when John the Baptist prepares the way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, that's Isaiah 40. It just carries on. All these prophecies, all these prophecies, it's just packed with it. One after other, all these prophecies are now starting to come true. But what did I, why did I mention this? Because this is now, this is now God, God's plan, God's better plan starting to fall into place. And remember the Trinity, so it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This has been planned. It's, it's, a, it's agreement between the, the three persons of the Trinity and the scriptures to support that. But how does this look in practice? So we've got Mount Sinai. We've got God's presence on the mountain. The mountain is shaking. There's smoke, there's fire, there's fear. And yet God is reaching out to people. Now we have a baby born in a manger. And how does he start... How does he reveal God's presence to the people? How does that baby born in the manger reveal God's presence now to the people? And if we have a look in Matthew chapter 4, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And from verse 23. And Matthew speaks a lot about the kingdom of God. The Gospel of Matthew speaks a lot about the kingdom of God and that Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God. And by the way, the, the Jews don't, remember they don't accept the, our Messiah. 
They're still waiting for the Messiah. They're still waiting for the, for the kingdom to be proclaimed. Yet Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom. And how did he do this? How did he, what was the proclamation? of? Did he just say this is the kingdom? Well, he went throughout, this is verse 23, Matthew, Matthew 4 verse 23. He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. His fame spread throughout all Syria. They brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures, paralytics. He healed them. Great clouds followed. This is how he came, proclaiming the kingdom. And then, in chapter 5, chapter 5, if you want to know how does this kingdom look, I'm now a citizen of this kingdom. How does this new kingdom look? I know how it worked for my forefathers. I know that they could only come once a year and stand outside, whatever, to have their sins forgiven, outside the tabernacle and the temple. How does this new kingdom look? God is on the mountain on Sinai. Yet Jesus also comes on the mountain. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. See, Jesus sat down. The people came to him. It's also holy God. It's also pure. The people came to him. And then he opened his mouth and he taught them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs, how does this kingdom look? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. That's the new ten commandments. He's, the new commandments he's given them. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then he carries on. That's just the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount. He carries on. There's a few chapters of his teaching. And he teaches different things. He teaches about loving your enemies, about giving to the needy. So I'm just looking at the headings in my... He gives them the Lord's Prayer. This is all part of the sermon. Laying up treasures in heaven. Do not be anxious. And he carries on teaching them. And this is the new kingdom of heaven. And a commentary I was reading briefly this morning, uh, a guy by the name of David Pawson, he wrote a book, uh, Unlocking the Bible. And he gives a, a quick, easy comment on the whole, all the books of the Bible. Um, and he was saying that the book of Matthew is almost like a, 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 guide, a guide 
If you want a guideline for being a disciple, you can read through the book of Matthew. Go through the book of Matthew. If you want a guideline, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a disciple of the Lord? Go read through Matthew. And it's these blessed um, things that it all starts with, these blessed things. And that word blessed, I've heard somewhere it's, 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 it's similar to shalom. I don't know if you've heard of the, greet, the greeting, the Jewish greeting, shalom, which has got such, it's such a rich word. If you ever wanted to study, you go and study upon the, the word shalom. It's not just, you know, a greeting. It's about peace. God's peace be upon you, you know. And yes, all these blessings. God's peace be upon you. Do these things. God's peace be upon you. Do these things. Do the next thing. Um, it's pure in spirit. Mourn the meek. Do all these things. Here's the God of heaven now suddenly in a person. Jesus Christ. That same holy God. He's manifest himself in the person of Jesus Christ. He's moving among the people. He's on a mountain still, teaching them, like Sinai. But he's touching them. They can, they can be in his presence. The children are sitting on his lap. Suddenly it's a whole different, a whole different story. Um, and it was only through that sacrifice. And the time is gone. But... If you want to read about that sacrifice, go and, go and read what it meant for Jesus. Go and, go and read um, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is, is, is a whole chapter about the suffering servant. You know, how he was pierced for our iniquities. And that chapter is, it gives you an idea of, of what the sacrifice that this, this, this person of the Trinity had to had to go through in order to make this possible, to make this what we're reading here, make it actually possible. And and to not lose sight of that. Um, and and apparently the Jews often skip over that Isaiah fifty three when they're reading Isaiah. Because it's in their scriptures. Because they battle with this concept of a Messiah who came to die. They like Isaiah in chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 is, is, is where it speaks about his name shall be a wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the prince of peace. Of the extent of his kingdom, there's no end. That's a Messiah. You know? And so you can understand even the disciples battled with this concept of a Messiah who came to suffer. Remember Peter said, you shall not do that. And, and, and Jesus had to um, admonish him. You know, because he came for that. He came to suffer. Jesus came to suffer and he came to die for the sins of the world. And in Hebrews it tells us when he died, and I'm almost done, when he died, he had to suffer outside the gate. Remember we spoke about the, the camp and the temple. And outside the gate means, it even goes back to, to, to the Garden of Eden. Because there was a gate there with a, the seraphim guarding that. No one could come in there because that was getting towards God's presence. Jesus suffered outside that gate. Hebrews tells us that. And why? Because he took that sin upon him. And remember God, he took that sin on him. And there was a holy God on the other side of the gate. He was outside of God's presence when he took that sin and he suffered there. 
he suffered with that sin outside of God's presence so that this is possible so that he could proclaim that new glorious kingdom and friends today we are in that kingdom that kingdom came Jesus announced the inauguration of the kingdom of God on earth and today we live in that time yes there is still more it's people talk about the already but not yet in other words it's not perfect it's yeah it's with us but there's more there's more to come and we know that that is a cons- uh, the inauguration uh, sorry the inauguration is when it started the consummation will be the end when we will all be glorified and then the, the true new kingdom will be experienced on earth um, by us but this christmas let's um maybe that's some food for us to, to think i hope so of the significance you know sometimes we we read the word you know and we just carry on carry on year in year out uh, we look at the little nativity scene uh, or the star whatever but we we haven't we don't really like to interrogate too, too deep and it's only when we do that that the significance really dawns on us of where we where we truly are today and how we should be so grateful and so thankful and we part of this kingdom and we and our, our duty is to to be part of it and extend it to bring others in and to talk about it and to to proclaim it um may the lord bless us as we come to think about um yeah wonderful 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 message of the lord uh, and that and remember that <laughs> one final point remember that through what Jesus did he came to bring the message to the gentiles and there was a hardening on the heart of the jews and we still live in that time i believe there's something like 30 or 40,000 christians jews messianic jews in israel of a population of 6 million something 30 to 40,000 christian jews so it's still in that time there are there is outreach is growing and there's stories coming through of salvations very quickly and it's starting to happen but we're still in that time the time of the gentiles reaching to the gentiles um aren't you glad that 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 happened you know that god chose to reach out to to us the gentiles and through that we are in do- adopted into that same family of god we are adopted into the same we have all the blessings that god promised we experience that today something to be so grateful for and 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 god's precious family we are now those priests We are now those priests we spoke about in in Exodus. He's made us a kingdom of priests. We are those people. Thank you. Pray for us. Okay. Peace. Lord, this morning, um, in a sense, we've we've come before your presence again. We've um, we've come before your holy mountain. we've related to those people there in fear and trembling before this awesome mountain before your presence and we've we've related to those who have come to the tabernacle but not been able to get inside 
and hope that the priest comes out alive again. And, and, and have a fear, a holy fear, for your presence Lord, in the wilderness. And then we've sat at the feet of Jesus on the, on the mount. And we've listened to him revealing to us a new gospel, a new message, the good news of the kingdom. And Lord, we're reminded this morning of what that means to each one of us. And especially at this time of the year, Lord, we think on these things. And thank, we thank you, Lord. We have grateful hearts. Mm. And help us never to take it for granted. And help us never to trample you underfoot like um, Aaron's two sons, Lord. Never to just take it for granted that we have some special treatment or some special um, uh, situation where we can just sin or, or just trample you underfoot. Help us to be saved from that, that type of thinking, Lord. And yes, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this time of the year where there's much goodwill. Thank you for everyone that's here in this church, for each family represented here. Thank you for what the new year holds for us, each one of us. And, um, and the years ahead of us, Lord, as we serve you as your, as your servants, as your disciples. Thank you for this glorious way that you've, you've made for us. And we look forward to that one day when you do come again. And we will see you face to face with unveiled faces. Lord, we look forward to that day. Now I pray that you would dismiss us with your blessing. And may your light shine upon us. May your face be turned towards us, Lord, as we leave. And may your light shine upon us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.